Good morning. Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for this time that I get to spend with each and every one of these precious, awesome, beautiful people, Lord, that I'd like to call and am blessed to call brothers and sisters. Lord, we ask for your presence to just drench us with your love this morning, Lord, and we ask that you would open our eyes and give us the wisdom and to see and open our ears to hear what you want us to hear, Lord. In your sweet, precious name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Thanks. Try to trip you. <laughs> but yeah, I'm glad to be here, excited to be here. Welcome, everybody. This is the French Church. Uh, the thing I love about this place is, man, you never know who you're sitting next to. Hey, there's some people sitting next to you that have gone through some stuff. Uh, there's some people that have been to prison, got off of drugs, you know what I mean? I, not that, not that you know, every, that's everybody's story. But we all got a story, man. And, and like when I look out and I see you guys and I know some of your stories, like if you guys inspire me. Like I would come here to hang out with you just to hear your stories. It inspires me, man. It inspires me because some of you guys shouldn't be alive. Uh, some friends of ours, Dave and Missy, where are you guys at? I saw them somewhere. They celebrated their five-year anniversary, right, yesterday? Yeah, give it up for these guys. Five-year wedding anniversary. But the, this is the interesting thing about that. And again, oh, five-year anniversary is so cute, you know. They've been through some stuff, man, right? I mean, I'm not going to put your laundry out there, but, man, you guys probably shouldn't be together after some, after some of that stuff. You know, you survived some things. You fought through some things. So, yeah, congratulations, man. It's a beautiful thing, man, beautiful thing. Uh, we're going to talk about some stuff today that I believe... Uh, will be truly, truly, truly transformative, uh, not just for you, but like as I was studying this, as I was thinking about this in my own life, like it totally uh, changed my life. A couple quick announcements before we get into that. If you're giving this morning, there's a joy box. It's that little hipster wood box over there, you know, distressed wood, metal on the side. I like that stuff too, don't I? Uh, but yeah, it's over there if you if you if you believe in what we're doing, want to support what we're doing. Thank you for those of you that do. Like you have no idea how much it helps and. Like, with the little bit amount of money that we have coming in, it's amazing what we've already been able to do. It's incredible, man. Uh, so, last, I think it was like a week and a half ago, we went to Tent City. We're going to try to get back out there before they get moved out, which I think is like within the next week. So, this week coming up, we're going to head back out there. If you want to go with us, you want to get involved, we want to try to reach out to those people and connect with those people before they're moved out so we can stay connected with them and continue trying to help them. So, if you want to get involved with that, contact me afterwards. Uh, there's some other things that they said that they needed. Uh, and, and just understand this, if you're new here and there was a little controversy about this, uh, you know, thank God for Facebook and Instagram, adventures of missing the point. Let me, can I just give you a life lesson? Can I, let me just give you a life, life lesson real quick. Don't ever have personal conversations through text. Important, well, let me put it this way. Important conversations or something that you want to say or tell somebody, don't ever say it through social media. Don't say it through text. Don't don't even email it because you can miss the nuance uh, in, in a real interaction that you have. I think we're losing the ability to effectively communicate with each other as human beings. And so uh, the, the most wonderful place to do that is on Facebook and Instagram. You know, people are great at missing the point uh, there. Uh, so we, we caught a little, you know, oh, you're taking your kids when there's hair, when you, go, you know, like, no, nah, man, we went in there, we checked it out, we made sure everything was safe. And, you know, we get, if, if you're not, you know, you don't feel comfortable doing that, it's all good, man. Uh, but anyways, yeah, we scoped it out. We made sure everything was safe. We didn't go all the way into the camp. There's a little entrance, so obviously we're not taking our kids where there's, you know, danger. I love my daughter, man. Let me tell you something. I've been in jail. I'll never go back to jail. There's nothing worth your freedom, but you, you get near my kids and my family, like, that's, you're going to see the old Patrick. <laughs> no, hopefully. I believe Jesus, so, you know, yeah, I'm just, I'm being silly. 
But anyhow, uh, we, we do have wisdom before we go into those environments. We pray before we go into those environments. But a lot of us uh, that are doing this type of stuff, we've gone through that stuff. So we have a unique perspective. And we know we can spot danger, right? Some of you guys, we can spot danger before like it's even anywhere near us. I always joke around with my kids like, you know, they'll point out the cop, you know, waiting their radar. And people are like, dude, I saw him a quarter mile away, you know. I'm not even doing anything anymore. I don't break the law anymore. But because of my past, like, you know, I'm always looking for the lights. I could spot, they have a very unique, don't they? Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Don't act all holy up in here. The cops, man, I can could, I could spot their lights from behind me. They can be, you know, half a mile behind me. Man, there were cop lights back there. You know, I can't see the car, but the lights, some of you guys, yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You just gave yourself away. Uh, but yeah. We're smart, we're wise how we go in there. We, we want to have some sense, we want to be prepared, we want to be prayed up. But at the end of the day, uh, we don't believe that the scriptures gives us permission to ignore these people. We cannot do it. We cannot come here and meet and talk about Jesus and worship, praise the Lord, and ignore people outside this building. We don't buy into that philosophy. Uh, we don't believe that, that God is like somehow uniquely in this building and he's not out there. We don't buy into any of that stuff. We believe that God is everywhere. People are just unaware of it, you know what I mean? And so if you want to get involved with that, feel free to contact us afterwards. Uh, this past weekend, Sarah and I had this incredible, uh, you guys gotta hear Sarah speak. She will be speaking within the next few weeks. I'm gonna make her. <laughs> but she's she's incredible, man. She's got an incredible story. Uh, and, and and she'll you know she'll be sharing here in a few weeks. But man, we got the we got the amazing opportunity this past uh, Friday to go into Marysville prison, which is the largest women's prison in the state of Ohio. And Sarah, if you know a little bit about her, her uh, backstory, I won't give it away because I'm sure she'll talk about it at some point. But she, she's gone through prison. She's, she's done time herself. And she was in Marysville uh, for half of her time. And then she went to a place called Dayton Correctional up in Dayton that we go to every Tuesday. And it was the first time for her to go back into that, into that environment, which is really, I think, interesting for her. Probably kind of bizarre, weird. Well, I get to walk out of here. I don't have to eat that food. You know what I mean? All that kind of stuff. But also, like, just the full circle moment, you know, but it was incredible. We partnered with another organization, and we did, like, a women's conference for these women because we believe part of the reason why these people end up addicted, living in Tent City, in the penitentiary, on drugs, is because they have a lethal absence of a future hope, and they're, and they're disconnected from the way that they were meant to live. They're disconnected from their creator. And there's always a reason behind the reason behind the reason why somebody does what they do. Addiction, uh, jail time, that's, that, that's just a that's just a symptom of a much deeper problem way back here and, and until you get to that way back here uh you'll never get to the root of it and so that's why we go into the prisons and it was amazing man there was like 150 women there it was unbelievable share uh sarah got to share her story and i, I rap for him a little bit uh but man it was incredible and, and these women they just started opening up and breaking down and you hear some of their stories of like how did you end up here and what you know what happened and what was your childhood like it was it was it was absolutely heart-wrenching we do this every week and it was still heart-wrenching uh to hear it but it was incredible to see the transformation but we got to partner with the organization called four seven they do work in the same prisons that we're in every week and we're just we just view this thing like you know we're not just interested in building our kingdom if there's other organizations out there that care about the same stuff like let's work together man like the, the, the whole Jesus thing is not, it's not like gang territory. Today we're going to be talking about a topic that I am 
unequivocally convinced that affects every human being on the face of, of planet Earth. Uh, it affects everybody walking across the street. Uh, right now, it affects the people in the dance studio, the people working in the cafe, the guy doing his taxes down the street, like the, the people that are locked up in Butler County, the people living in Tent City, and the business professional that owns their business right around the corner. This topic affects every human being on the face of planet Earth. The only difference is some of us realize What's happening and some of us don't. Don't. And what we're going to talk about today is what I call the voice of accusation. The voice of accusation. If you go throughout the scriptures, even from the very beginning, there was this voice of accusation that has plagued mankind from the very beginning. And I'm just going to start with the book of Genesis and I'll read this uh, quickly. If you have a Bible with you or a smartphone, if you want to look it up, we're going to be reading that at Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. And this is the story of the serpent entering the garden and what happened with Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty, subtle, skilled in deceit than any living creature of the field which the Lord God had made. And the serpent, Satan, said to the woman, Can it really be that God has said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees of the garden, except the fruit from the tree which is in the middle of the garden. God said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, otherwise you will die. But the serpent said to the woman, you certainly will not die, for God knows on the day you eat it, your eyes will be opened. That is, you will have greater awareness, and you will be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. Verse 6, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that was delightful to look at, and a tree to desire, to be desired in order to make one wise and insightful, she took some of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband with her, and he ate Verse 7, then the eyes of the two of them were opened, that is, their awareness increased, and they knew that they were naked, and they fastened fig leaves together and made themselves covering. Verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool afternoon breeze of the day. So the man and his wife hid and kept themselves hidden from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to them, Adam, and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you walking in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. God said, who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were naked? I want to stop there. I want to stop there. So there was a serpent, you know, and, and you, can, you can argue over the specifics of this story. Uh, what I think sometimes we can, we can miss the forest for the trees, you know. Some people focus on such literal stuff, you can miss the greater meaning. Uh, the people who wrote the scriptures from the very beginning, they were Eastern writers, they were Jewish writers, and they wrote from a very different way that a, a 21st century American, uh, you know, writer would write. They wrote very poetic. They wrote very metaphorically. They wrote their, even the Hebrew language itself, you know, the word ball could just mean ball, you know, in our language, it could mean a physical ball, or if you're from the hood, hey man, let's go ball, right? That's basketball, we're going to go play basketball. Uh, but for the most part, our, our, our language is very, other than some of the slang stuff, it's very black and white, it's very flat, but he, the Hebrew language is very fluid, there's a lot to it. So when it talks about the serpent being crafty, I want to just give you an idea of what that means. It, it means that he was subtle, he was skilled in deceit uh, than any other living creature. So to be cunning or subtle is to be clever. It's when you use an indirect method to achieve something. It's being deceitful, tricky. When someone is being cunning or deceitful, they make their true motives difficult to understand, elusive, hard to notice or see. You ever meet somebody like this? The voice of accusation will always make something that was clear, overly confusing, complicated, and cloudy. 
What does the devil say to them? He says, hey man, did God really say? He didn't tell them, hey, don't do He said, did, what did he do? He made a situation that was very clear, right? God told him, hey man, don't eat that fruit over there. I'm telling you, like, when you eat it, it's going to be bad. It's all going to be bad. Dun, dun, dun. You know what I mean? Just don't eat it, man. You got this whole incredible garden. Isn't that, isn't that still the human story today? You know what I mean? People want what they don't have, man. You can have the best, uh, you know, with some of these houses, we, we work in beautiful homes, and it's, it's funny. Some, some of the people we meet in those homes are some of the most wonderful people you ever meet, some of the most generous, kind people. But some of them, they're so caught up in all of that chasing stuff. And, you know, they could literally be sitting in a $1.5 million home with a Bentley in the garage, but they got to have this thing because that dude, oh, did you see his? We're about to get this, you know? It's just silly, you know? Uh, we always want what we don't have. And so the enemy, what does he do? He questions them. Did God really say? What was he saying? What was he saying to them? What he was trying to communicate to them was, is God really holding out on you? That's what he's saying. You ever, you ever feel like that? You ever feel like, and, and you don't have to raise your hand. Uh, you ever feel like it seemed like things were going good for everybody around you? But it just felt like, woe is me. God, it must be something wrong with me. You know, God must be holding out on me. Did God really say uh, you're missing out. The voice of accusation always suggests you're missing out by not experiencing this or that. It's FOMO. Some of you young people know about this. FOMO. What is FOMO? It's the fear of missing out, right? That's why uh, people are so consumed by social media today. And I'm not saying it's inherently a bad thing. I don't believe that uh, for a second. I think when when you get pulled into it and it's, it consumes you, that's when it you know, becomes toxic. But what is, what is the whole social media thing built off of? It's built off of the fear of missing out, right? I got to check my thing. It's like a nervous switch, you know? We like to make fun of drug addicts, but man, you see some of these people in line at the checkout, you know, they can't, they can't sit still. And I'm, I, look, hey, I've been that dude, okay? I'm not judging them. I've been that guy. You can't even sit still, you know? Five minutes, lazy. she's got four items on the conveyor belt. And I'm like, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> somebody like, did somebody comment, you know? The fear of missing out. That's what, that's what the enemy was doing to them. Hey, did God really say, you're missing out if you don't, do this. This lie permeates through our entire pop culture currently, right? For God, that God knew that if you do this, then you'll be like him. The accuser always, and what did he do to them? He was feeding their pride, ego, and sense of entitlement. Anywhere you sense a sense of entitlement, pride, and ego, the accuser is always lurking somewhere in the background. You hear that? Anywhere you see pride, ego, and a sense of entitlement, the accuser is always behind all of it, right? So where you see a sense of entitlement, pride, and ego, that's where the enemy's at. When the serpent came to them with that very first accusation in the beginning, it was all driven by three things. So if you look at the specific things he said to Adam and Eve, he, he was addressing three things. And it talks about this in the book of 1 John. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So that temptation, that thing that he was offering them, it was based on three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the eyes. Your eyes will be open. When she saw that it was good to look at, right? So that talks about that. The lust of the flesh, it was good for food. It would satisfy her cravings, right? That's what the, that's what the accuser does is he, he's, he tells us, and, and some of us, I know we got to say amen with this. We've been told by, by, by voices in the past that if we just got this, then I would be happy, right? And it didn't leave us happy. It didn't leave us fulfilled. The pride of life, the desire to be king, to be queen of your own empire, the desire to have an edge intellectually over others. You will be like God. They weren't happy with just allowing God to control and govern their lives. They wanted to be their own gods. And we're still doing it thousands of years later. You will rule your own lives. 
You guys, you can be masters of your own ship. You don't need an anchor. You can sail anywhere you like. That's what he was saying to them. That's what he was saying to them. First John 2, 15 through 17, it says this. Do not love the world of sin that opposes God and his precepts, nor the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, again, back, I want you to remember the story of the serpent in the garden. For all that is in the world, the lust and sensual cravings of the flesh, the lust and longing of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, pretentious confidence in one's resources and in the stability of earthly things, these do not come from the Father, but are from the world. The world is passing away with its lusts, shameful pursuits, and ungodly longings. But the one who does the will of God and carries out his purpose lives forever lives forever. It's interesting, man. Interesting, bizarre story. Was there literally a physical snake talking? I don't know. I wasn't there. But you know why? The, you know why this, I believe the scriptures are inspired and I know this is true? Because it still happens. It still happens. This human condition still happens, right? We see things that we know Come on, I know, I know I'm not the only one. We see things that we know are not good. We know, like we know unequivocally, hey man, you probably shouldn't say this to that guy. You know what I mean? You probably shouldn't act like that in traffic. Maybe it's on some deeper level. You probably know you shouldn't touch that because if you take one drink, you'll be over here, you know, six months later, you know? Uh, we know and we still, we still, we still do it, man. I think that's why it's true because it still happens. There's still an accuser every day in our mind. We have these thoughts every day in our mind. Uh, lust of the flesh, pride of life, lust of the eyes. Now, give you a little quick history, and, and this is, I, I thought this was fascinating when I discovered this. I don't know about you, but if you've seen any pictures of the Garden of Eden or you've seen some of those medieval paintings, uh, some of those dark age paintings, what, what happens is Adam and Eve, right, they're all, why do they always look Eastern European? That's what I want to know. It's kind of bizarre because this was in the Middle East. It's not historically accurate. It's not uh, geologically. It's very bizarre. But anyway, anyways. Rabbit trail, rabbit trail, focus, focus, man. Uh, right, but they look like these pale skin, you know. <laughs> they remind me of those precious moment dolls. You know, so I always tease Sarah because she used to like those. Sarah, you in there? <laughs> She's going to kill me. She used to. She doesn't like them anymore. I hate those dolls. They're creepy. They creep me out. They just look too kind. You know, when somebody looks too kind, I'm like, oh. It's always those people that look, you know what I mean? Uh, I'm just being silly. Anyways, rabbit trail again. Okay, back to the Garden of Eden. Uh, the paintings, right? What do you always see? You see them holding an apple, right? It's always an apple. It's an apple. It's an apple. It's an apple, right? It's going to bite out of it, you know? Uh, but some Jewish scholars believe that the fruit that they took from that tree, it wasn't an apple. It wasn't some, you know, common fruit that, that we're familiar with. They believe that it was a pomegranate. Now, I don't know if you've ever eaten a pomegranate. Uh, just give yourself a couple hours if you plan on eating one. <laughs> like, it's not easy to eat. Like, the thing, you cut it open, it's very weird looking. Anybody ever try to eat one of these things? Right? Two of us, okay? Everybody else tried and gave up. <laughs> but, but a pomegranate, they, they really are really good. And, and now, we're so lazy in America. You don't even have to cut the pomegranate open now. They have these things called palms. You ever see those? It's like a cup with the seeds in it. Like, how lazy have we gotten? Really? I mean, really? You don't have five minutes to cut this thing? <laughs> Anyways. So a pomegranate, when you cut it open, it has all these seeds in it. It's a red fruit, and it has all these little seeds in it. They're like these little juice. Uh, it's actually pretty good. I think it's good. But they believe that this fruit that was hanging on the, on the garden, uh, the tree of good, of good and evil, uh, this was a pomegranate. Now, in Jewish culture, uh, a pomegranate is very symbolic. They eat 
uh, pomegranate during Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year. This is like when they celebrate the calendar starting, like everything is becoming new. So they eat this because it's filled with seeds. Think about the farming allegory, the metaphor here. They eat this thing that's filled with seeds, right? They're starting a new year that is filled with all this potential and life. That's part of the reason that they do it. The other part of the reason they do it, they believe the pomegranate is symbolic and it's 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 a symbol of the 613 mitzvah or commandments of God, right? So they believe in pomegranates. There's roughly, give or take, there's about 613 of those seeds. If you look at the scriptures and you look at the mitzvah or the six, 613 commandments of God in the Old Testament scriptures, uh, it talks about 613. And so when they when they eat that in Rosh Hashanah, what they're essentially saying is, hey man, this whole year, this new year is filled with potential. It's filled with the seeds of possibility, but we're also choosing to consciously honor the commands of God and to eat these and ingest it. Are they really eating the Bible? No, but it's, symbol it's a symbolic, tactile way of saying, hey man, I want my life, I want the seeds, I want the things that grow out of my life to come from this. I think that's powerful and I think that's fascinating. And interesting. And so when you look back at the Garden of Eden and you look back at Adam and Eve and they're, they're taking this fruit. And who are they given this fruit by? They're given it by the serpent, the enemy, the devil, right? The accuser. And the reason why I think this is important is God told them how to handle this tree. And so when the enemy said, hey, go do this, what were they doing? They were mishandling the commands of God. They were mishandling the way of God. They were mishandling. Uh, you, I want you to respect it. I don't want you to mishandle this tree. God told them not to eat it, and by eating it, they broke his commandment, even though they would eat it down the road. By eating it, they were saying, we don't need your direction or commandments. We're going to remove them. And when they bit into it, the fruit was filled with seeds that grew in the brokenness that we see in the world today. I think that's interesting. I think that's interesting. So from the very beginning, that's what the fall was all about. That's what the chasm in humanity that started that day, that's what happened. It wasn't just maybe they ate an apple from a tree. <laughs> you know what I mean? It happened because they mishandled the, the commands of God, the commands of God. It's interesting, fascinating, fascinating. What does the enemy also tell him? What does the accuser also tell him? He tells him that there's not gonna be any consequence, man. Just eat it. You're not gonna die when you eat this. Anybody ever have that thought going through your head? I was a dumb kid. My mom's here, I can say this. I was a dumb kid. You wanna hear some funny stories? Look, she's back there sitting in the, what is it, the third row. She has blonde hair uh, with the blue shirt. Ask her some funny stories, man. She will have you crying for the rest of your Sunday. I was a dumb kid. I knew there would be consequences for my actions, but I was just so stupid. Any other dumb kids here? Right? Not some of you are mine. <laughs> no, I'm just joking, guys. Just joking, right? Any, anybody here like to push the limit when they were a kid? I'm not saying breaking the law necessary, but I was a dumb kid. I knew there was consequences. I would get grounded. I'd get in trouble. You know, get sent to my room. We lived in a in a little uh, what was that like a bungalow, and and it, my room was on the second floor uh, of the house, and so beneath the the window of the house there was bushes beneath the window, and I thought, you know what? If I jump out this window. Like, she won't know I'm gone, right? She'll, because she, she will think that I have to come down, you know, come down the, the stairs to get out. And so I close my door or whatever, and I, and I would literally jump out of the second story window. I don't know how old I was, so how old was I back then? Yeah, junior high, right? Into the bushes, not thinking, hey man, you could probably get impaled, you know? Let me tell you something. Some of you guys remember <laughs> Fire Marshal Bill, you know? It's like I was looking for it, you know? That's the type of stupid stuff I would do. My brothers, I told you guys about this a few weeks ago. They tried to convince me after we watched Batman that if I jumped off the roof with an umbrella, I would float away like Mary Poppins. In my logical mind, I knew, man, ah, 
this might have some consequences. But they're my brothers. They love me. They must be telling the truth. So, yeah, let's do it, man. Jump on the second uh, second store or uh, roof. Of, ooh, thank God it was a ranch house. Uh, I can still still can feel my legs. But yeah, so I jumped off the roof. You know, made him put a mattress out first because I kind of knew there'd be consequences. Uh, but man, yeah, man, I'll tell you. That's what, that's what the voice of accusation does, is it offers us suggestions of things we think are not going to be followed with any repercussions. Before the accuser, they weren't aware of any shame. I think this is interesting. When I was reading this and thinking about this, before the accuser, there was no shame in the world. None. None. Now, I don't know about you, and, and you can be honest about this. You can choose to not deal with it today, and that's okay. Let me tell you something, the fringe is a safe place no matter where you find yourself on this journey. If you're here and you're an atheist, you think this is all rubbish, we're glad you're here. This is a safe space to work that out. I, you know, I, I don't believe if something is real that I need to force it on you. I think if you get around it enough, it's gonna get on you. So no matter where you're at, it's okay. Uh, but, but for some of us, uh, we know, what, it like, we, we know what, it, what it's like to feel shame. Shame, man, shame. Can you imagine what the world must have been like before shame? And, and not just shame on these huge things. Oh, man, my marriage fell apart. Oh, I did this. Or I went through addiction. But, like, just shame of, like, feeling like you're not good enough, you know? It's these more subtle types of shame. Before this accuser stepped into the scene, there was no shame. And I was thinking, man, before the devil came, there was no shame. Before the accuser came, there was no shame. But the more I started reading this, there's an interesting part to that, too. Even after they made that choice, there was no shame. You know who brought shame? People and the enemy. Because God even says to them, and I read it in the, in the book of Genesis, God even says to them, who told you you were naked? I think that's interesting. God wasn't the one that came to found, find them and said, hey man, I see you're naked over there. I think there was going to be a conversation that they disobeyed him. But God did not expose their nakedness. I think that's interesting. Even though he knew that they sinned, he wasn't the one that pointed out their nakedness. He says to them, hey, Adam, Eve, who told you that you're naked? Because the way that God looked at them, the way, the way he still desired relationship with them, like he, did, he wasn't going to be the one that was going to put the shame on them. Was he going to deal with whatever needed to be dealt with? Of course. I think that's interesting. God wasn't the one that put the shame on. Anywhere you find shame, God is not to blame. Who introduced shame to the human experience? It wasn't God. From the beginning, he designed a world with no shame. Can you imagine what that must felt like? Shame is always at the heart of accusation. Accusation, the voice of accusation. You see it all over. You see it on TV. You see it in the media. You see it in the news. You see it in your relationships. You see it at work. You see it at home. What, is, what does accusation look like today for us at 21st century America in Hamilton, Ohio, 2018? Maybe it looks like this for you. I'm not good enough. I'm fat. I'm ugly. I'm not smart enough. I don't fit in. I'm inadequate. I don't have what it takes. The world is an awful place. It feels like the universe is against me. I'm a failure. I don't know what I'm doing. I can't do it. I'm not as lucky as other people. I should be better than I am. I am not strong enough. Nobody cares. I am not smart or clever enough. You fill in the blank for you. We all have these voices of accusation. And the interesting thing about the way the serpent, the enemy, darkness comes to us in this voice of accusation, it's always in the first person. He never comes and says, hey, peekaboo, I'm the devil. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Hey, here comes darkness. Hey, I'm here to unravel your marriage. Hey, over there. Uh, I want to I break this down even more. What are some ways that we deal with accusation? One of the ways is what I like to call black and white thinking. 
It's this idea when we think nothing ever works out for me. Has anybody ever dealt with this? I know I have. Nothing ever works out for me. It always includes words like always, never, nothing, and everything. It incorrectly views things strictly as right or wrong, good and bad, with no gray areas. There's gray areas in life, man. Like, you know, and I tell people this all the time, people that have gone through trauma, people that have gone through tragedy. Like, it's, it's, not, it's not that simple. Like, have you ever heard someone say, I can't believe, like, God allowed this, right? Has anybody ever struggled with it? I know I have. I lost a brother very young. And I remember going through that. But there's, it's, it's not always that simple. Uh, black or white thinking, nothing ever, it's this doom or gloom. I, I, I call it the, uh, the Seattle syndrome. Anybody here ever been to Seattle? I was thinking about Seattle, like, forecast, you know. I, I just wonder what that looks like every day. You, like, get up, you make coffee, you have your cereal, granola bar, bagel, whatever it is you're eating. You know, I like to sit there and eat fruity pebbles. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> but, uh, any rabbit trail. Okay, Seattle's forecast. Seattle's forecast. I wonder what it looks like every, every, every day. Today's gonna, it's gonna rain. <laughs> you know what I mean? The next seven days, it's gonna, like, how do they even get a job doing that, you know? I, I always, even here in, in Cincinnati and Hamilton, you know, I love the forecast. It, it makes me laugh because who in the world could tell you something like, Hey man, there's a 50% chance we're gonna get rain. Where do you come up with that? Like I could have told you that. That's like, let's go shoot dice in the back of the newsroom, and if we hit a seven, bang, you know, 70%. Like, where do you come up with this? I know there's Doppler, there's science and all that, you know. But 50%, come on, you gotta give me more than a 50% chance, you know. Uh, but yeah, it's this idea, it's the Seattle syndrome, you know. It's always been this way, so this is how it's always gonna be. Has anybody dealt with this, right? It's all, it's never going to work out. It didn't work out for me in the past. So this must be how my future is going to be. All my relationships in the past have been broken. I guess I'm never going to have a good marriage. I guess I'm never going to have good friendships because I've had bad friendships in the past. I've always worked a job where I could barely survive. I guess this is going to be my life. The next one is called mind reading. Mind reading. It's when we assume things about people and situations that we have no idea about, right? Uh, I, I think this is... <laughs> I think women sometimes struggle with this more than men. No judgment on the women. Uh, mind reading, right? It's, it's assuming things, that, and you guys are great at doing this for men, right? Amen, guys? <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble here. Seriously, you hear me back there? <laughs> mind reading. Well, I thought, you know, I didn't even think that. I was thinking about this over here, you know? Mind reading. I, I think this is for everybody, though. Everybody thinks I'm boring. Mind reading is making assumptions about other people's thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. When it comes right down to it, you don't know what other people think. You know, some people use the phrase borrowing trouble. You know, you could spend your whole life borrowing trouble, assuming that this is going to happen, assuming that that's going to happen. Man, you know, you better not go outside, you know. I saw on the news yesterday, <laughs> right? You better not go over there, you know. Let me give you a little healthy dose of advice based on the authority of God's word. Don't spend your whole day watching the news. Don't do it, man. It's, it will poison your soul. I'm not saying don't be aware of what's going on in the news. Pay attention to what's happening in the news. But I'm telling you, those people make millions and millions of dollars inducing fear, panic, murder, and mayhem. And convincing us that the world is inherently a bad, evil, dark place. I don't buy it for a second. That's not what the scriptures teach. Are there bad, horrible things that happen? Absolutely. We work in the prisons. I, I deal with murders every week, every Tuesday. Lebanon Correctional, Dayton Correctional. We deal with some of the most dangerous people in the state of Ohio. But there's a story behind that story as well. Uh, mind reading, assuming 
things about people, places, and things that you don't know. Uh, the other thing is fortune telling. Some of you guys can relate to this. There's no point in even trying. It's not going to work. Anybody ever struggle with that? You're predicting your future before it ever happens. Come on, I know I'm not the only one that does this, right? Fortune telling. Oh, man, it ain't going to work out, you know? I remember when we, when we started The Fringe, we knew, because I've done this. I've gone through church planning. I've helped some other people start ministries up in Cleveland and different parts of the country. And I'll tell you, you start this thing, people show up. Second week, there's like two people here, you know? Next week, 10 people. Third week, there's like two people here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, what, is, what does the enemy do? The voice of accusation. Oh, it's thing ain't going to work. You know? A fortune telling. It's fear. When you predict, listen to this. When you predict an outcome and believe it as fact, you are fortune telling, it's fear, it's not a fact. You don't wanna spend your whole life, people, consumed by fear, right? And I know for some of us, because of our past and our experiences, this is easier or harder than, to get through than others, but you don't wanna spend your whole life driven by fear. The Spirit of God is not giving us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Next is overgeneralization. This relationship didn't work. I'm going to be single for the rest of my life. Overgeneralization is predicting that a negative will be true in the future based on an experience you've had in the past. Again, it's fear and not fact. What happens when things happen to us in our past? We view our future through the lens of our past. That's not how God wants you to live, man. I, I tell people in the penitentiary that have been in and out of prison their whole lives, people that have struggled with addiction their whole lives, I tell them, hey, man, I know you've never experienced another life, but it doesn't mean that it's not out there, right? I know you've been in prison five times, like this is your fifth time in prison, but if I told you, if I came in here and told you today, hey man, like Paris doesn't exist. Remember when they did that to Pluto? You're no longer a planet. <laughs> you see all the stupid memes about that? I guess now Pluto's gonna be a planet again. You know, but it, it's even more ridiculous. It's like it's like coming to them in, in, that, in, that, in that environment and say, hey guys, I just came in here to tell you that uh, Paris no longer exists. It doesn't exist. There's no such place. What do you mean there, there's no such place? I just saw it on the news. Well, you've never been there. Come on, somebody. You've never been there, so it must not exist. That's how some of us base our lives. Just because we haven't been in a healthy relationship, we think that it doesn't exist. Just because we haven't uh, lived our lives not struggling financially, all we've ever known is poverty, struggle, debt. Like we, we start believing if you spend your time in that environment for long enough, you start believing that's all that there is. But just because you've never been there doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. That's the voice of accusation. Overgeneralizing. Next is minimizing. I accomplished this thing, but anybody can do that. Minimizing is discounting the positive that is present or undervaluing your accomplishments. It's false humility. This is what the, the accuser, the enemy also does to us. When we overcome something, oh, that really wasn't anything. I didn't really do anything. And I think the people who struggle with minimizing the most, the voice of accusation in regards to minimizing the most are people who didn't have affirmation as children from their fathers. Right? Anybody else struggle with that? You know, I remember when I turned my life around, and I was a horrible, horrible person. I won't get into the details. Maybe I'll share that someday. But I was a horrible person. I was a violent person. I was a criminal. Uh, and I remember I had completely turned my life around. I turned my life around to the point where my mother, I remember, I'll never forget when you came to see me after all that happened. She said, like, what happened to you? <laughs> you know what I mean? And I wasn't, like, preaching at her. I wasn't, like, you know, 
you better get saved. You know what I mean? I, I didn't do it. I, we were just hanging. But she, she could see, she could physically see that something had changed. And I'll never forget one of the conditions on my release. I didn't want to go back to Cleveland. I wanted to start over in a new environment before I came back. And so one of the conditions of my release was to go live with my father, who has been a stranger in my life. As a, uh, my only interaction with him has been uh, abusive, violent, but I just knew I couldn't go back to that environment until I was ready. Uh, I had a conversion in prison, and so I really wanted to live this thing out. And I got on a plane. You want to talk about a bizarre experience? You know, spend you know four and a half years in a maximum security juvenile prison with no movement, no car, not being in a car, and you literally walk out of that gate and they put you on an airplane. It was very bizarre, very bizarre. But it was it was it was incredible. And so I remember getting out, and I turned. And again, to appreciate this, you got to know the type of person that I was. I had completely transformed my life. And I, I was living there for three to four months. I was working, saving my money. You know, I didn't, I didn't, not that this determined your spirituality, but I didn't have this foul mouth. I wasn't violent. I wasn't fighting people. I wasn't selling drugs. I wasn't robbing people. I was working. And, and I'll never forget, like, that whole time that I spent out there, my father never told me one time, hey, man, I want you to know I'm proud of you. He's, to this day, he still never told me. I'm proud of you that you've changed your life. I'm proud of you. I, I didn't need some, you know what I mean? Some speech, you know, some motivational speech. But just the simple phrase of not hearing, hey, man, I want you to know I'm proud of you. Like that did something to me as a young man trying to rebuild my life. You know, it did something to me. And minimizing, when you don't have affirmation as a child, the enemy, the accuser, will use minimizing to keep you down. He will try to minimize your, your, uh, how you feel about accomplishment. And let me just tell you this. Let me let me just let me just be the one for you if you've never had it. Some of you guys have overcome stuff. Some of you guys have turned your lives around. Some of you guys, I know your stories in here. You're coming out of some stuff. Let me just tell you based on the authority of who God is and what the scriptures say, like when God looks at you, he is proud of you. Some of you guys deal with parental stuff, man. God is, you guys are wonderful parents. Like God is proud of you. God is proud of you that you overcame that addiction. God's proud of you that you guys are still together. Come on, man. Hey, God's proud of you that you're still breathing some of you guys. Like when God, and I'm proud, I want you to know that I'm proud of you. I am. And I see it and God sees it. And when he looks at you, despite how that lack of affirmation, despite how that lack of approval from other people, like when God looks at you, man, he is pleased with you. He's proud of you. He's proud of you, man. Maximizing. It's when we blow things out of proportions, making mountains out of molehills, right? The opposite of minimizing is maximizing. It's exaggerating the importance of one negative event, you know? You know, we do, we see this all the time in people that we work with that struggle with addiction. You know, they mess up, they relapse, and so they just collapse, you know, and they just go all in. And I tell them, you know, I went through this with my own brother, you know, he had relapsed, and I told him, I said, hey man, you fell down. I'm not gonna yell at you. Just get back up. Just stand up like you can make it, you know? You can make it. This is not the end. This one mistake does not undo all this change that you've done. It doesn't, it doesn't undo it. Unrealistic expectations. Anybody here grow up in that environment? You just felt like you were never good enough? 
Like no matter how much you performed, it was never good enough. That's the voice of accusation. That's the voice of the enemy. And he will use that. That childhood stuff where you felt like it was never, you were never enough and it was never good enough. He'll use that throughout your adult life. Recognize where that comes from. That is the voice of the accuser. Should statements. I should have done this. I should have done that. I must have done this. You know, this kind of thinking does not help us personalizing. He didn't want to hang out. I must have done something to make him mad. Personalizing, listen to me, is taking responsibility for something that's not your fault. Some of us have gone through some horrible stuff and we blame ourselves. Stop. Just stop doing it. That's the voice of the enemy. It was not your fault. It's also thinking that other people's actions or moods are in some way related to you. Let me tell you something. You are not responsible for other people's happiness. You can, as a person and as a person that is walking in the light, you can be a person that brings light into that room, but you are not solely responsible for someone's happiness or joy. You're responsible for your joy and your happiness. And if you're truly living this thing out, like I do believe that will affect the room, that will affect an environment, that will affect relationships, but stop putting everything, stop blaming yourself for things that are not your fault. Somebody needs to hear that. Catastrophic thinking. I'm not going to have enough money to pay the rent. For some of us, that's real at times, right? Uh, then I'll get evicted and have to... Anybody ever have this spiral going on, right? One thing happens, and then you start connecting the dots. You know, you're like that FBI, you know what I mean? You got the board up here, well, this happened, so this is going to unravel, and that's going to happen. Come on, so anybody here, right? Catastrophic thinking, right? It's when we overestimate the chances of disaster and focus only on the potential of negative outcomes. It's believing that fear... It's believing your fear that something unbearable or intolerable is going to happen. How many of you guys know all the things we thought were going to happen a lot of times it never happens? Sometimes it does. But how much energy and time do we spend having catastrophic thinking about things that never happen? Never happen. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing to his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, again, notice the same phrase that was in Genesis, the accuser. The accuser standing, and that's very significant, his right side. Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was, was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put fine garments on you. Then I said, Put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. So here's this guy, Joshua. He's standing before God, and right next to him is the accuser. I want to make a suggestion to you. Just because you say yes to God, just because you say, you know what, I'm going to try to walk this thing out. I'm going to try to leave that life of darkness and I'm going to make the choice to step into the light. It does not insulate you from the voices of accusation from the enemy. Any theology, any church that teaches you that the whole point Jesus came is just so you can live like this insulated bubble life. Let me tell you something. If you live for anything like the time, it's not true. It's not true. We don't live in some insulated bubble where if we just believe the right things and nothing ever going to happen to us. That's not how the world works, man. And sometimes you can be standing right before God. You can be doing the right thing. You can be trying to help people. You can be pouring your life out and those voices of accusation still 
continue to come at you. There was a story about a pastor in California recently that took his own life because he struggled with depression. He was helping people. He was doing things, but he was battling this private struggle of accusation. I wonder if there was anybody within that environment that came along and let him know that he was not alone, man. Joshua standing right before God. He's accused right on his side. Now, it's interesting because it says that Satan was standing at the right side to accuse him. Now, if you follow the stories of Scripture and you follow Jesus, it says that when Jesus comes to the earth, when he dies, he's crucified, he's resurrected. It says that he, he raises back the, to, to life, and it says that he ascends to the Father, and he's seated down at the right hand of God. So the right hand, when somebody in Jewish culture is sitting on the right hand, it's a place of authority. It's a place of importance. It's a place of significance. It's a place of honor. When you put someone on your right side, you're giving them equal rank and equal authority. And so what was, what was Satan trying to do? Right in front of God, he was trying to make himself equal with Joshua, right? And I think that's interesting. That gives me some hope because I don't know about you, but sometimes it feels like darkness is overwhelming, right? But God, God rebuked him and, and he said, hey, I want you to know that Satan is trying to suggest that he could exercise authority and control over Joshua. Well, that's what he was saying. He was saying, hey man, like, I'm going to control you. I'm going to do some things. Satan is trying to suggest that he could exercise authority and control. He wanted Joshua to believe that the darkness, listen to me, he wanted Joshua to believe that the darkness was just as strong as he. Some of you guys are struggling with some dark stuff in here. Let me, let me just let you know that the darkness is not stronger than what? inside of you. The Bible says that when God raised Jesus from the dead, when we say yes to the light, we say yes to the Messiah, it says that the same power that raised Jesus from the grave now lives in you. The same power that created stars and galaxies and universes and, and, and black holes, you know what I mean? And quarks and, 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 the, and the whole ecosystem and the atmosphere and the birds and the lions and you know what I mean? The grass and the Hamilton River, you know what I mean? The same God that spoke that into existence. The same God that you see in the face of a newborn when it's born. Like that power resides in you and I want you to know no matter what you're dealing with this morning, the power that is in you is great than the power that is standing next to you. It is. It is. He wanted Joshua to believe the darkness was as strong as he was. He was dressed, it said that Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes, which symbolized his sin. The accuser wanted to bring up his past. You know, that's what the accuser does to us as well. He wants to constantly bring up our past. Hey, man, I remember when you did this. You're, you can't change. You remember when you were doing all that over there? You're not, you're not this. You're not that. You know, he'll bring up our past. God doesn't focus on Joshua's past. God never once mentions his past. But he focuses on the hope and the power that he was like a, and this is interesting, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrap it up with this. It says that Joshua was like a stick snatched from the fire. Now, I don't know about you, I'd like to be compared to some strong things, you know what I mean? Like, hey, compare me to like Thor's hammer, you know what I mean? I don't know about you guys, what your thing is. Like, I used to love the Hulk when I was a kid, probably because I was like an angry, destructive kid, and I just like the Hulk smash, like bang, you know? I'd love to do that one day. Just, it was a dream of mine. This is how messed up I, I was as a kid. It was a dream of mine. Like, my dream was to go into, like, JCPenney's or, like, Macy's. Or back in the day when they had that Kaufman's, Dillard's, you know. And, you know, the China area. Oh, man. Just give me two Hulk hands. Hey, kids, don't do that. Don't, if the pastor told me at the fringe, I should go do the Hulk smash at Dillard's. Don't do it. Don't do it. That's the voice of accusation. But no, man, right? And, 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 and But God compares Joshua to something very strange. He said he's like a stick 
pulled from the fire. Real, real interesting. We're gonna, we're gonna close with this idea. What is a stick that wasn't consumed by the fire? It was saying that he should have been consumed, but he wasn't. Some of you have been burned in your past. Some of us by our own decisions, but God would say to you this morning, I am so happy you made it out of the fire. Some of you guys said be alive. God's happy you've made it out of the fire. He wanted to put a new turban on him. What is a, what is a turban? You know, it refers to, to that idea in, um, what is that, Ephesians chapter 6. A turban is something that covers your head from the heat. From the, from, you know, what is your head? That's where your, your conscience is, your mind, your memories, right? God wanted to transform his mind, protect his mind. Remember, his clothes were symbolic of sin, darkness, his past. And so the new clothes were symbolic of the cleaning process of God, of forgiveness and grace. And so the turban, it was symbolic of his mind that was filled with darkness being transformed into light. God was changing his mind and renewing the way that Joshua would see himself. Joshua, you're not just determined by your past. There's this interesting thing that I learned about recently, and I'm telling you, man, when I read this, and I, in fact, I'm working with somebody who does this, and when I, when I read this, and it's interesting because I, I do all kinds of different construction work. I've heard of this, but I've never seen it done until recently. And I was studying this. I'm like, man, oh man, wait till you hear this. And there's the, there's this uh, building uh, material that they use now in a lot of modern houses. Again, remember Joshua? He was like a stick pulled from burning fire. It's called yakisugi. Can you say that with me? Yakisugi. Yakisugi. Probably <laughs> pronouncing it wrong, right? Yakisugi. They also call it shusugi ban or yakasugi. And what it is, is in a lot of these nice new houses, what they'll do is they'll take wood and they'll take a propane heater and they'll take like a flame and they'll burn, they'll char the wood and they use that as an architectural treatment on the side of the house. It can be on the inside of the house, the outside of the house. It's not just like, hey, little Timmy, let's pour some gas on the wood and light it on fire. There's an art to it. There's a certain way you got to do it. There's companies that do it. It's very expensive. There's a whole uh, art to doing it. But what they do is they essentially burn and they char the wood. But this has been around for centuries. They've been doing this in Japan for centuries and it's now just become popular in, in the United States. And the idea is to burn the wood to a varying degree of char. The charred surface can be left untouched. It can be lightly brushed, sanded. You could put polyurethane over it. Uh, the char, now this is, listen to me. When this wood is charred, it becomes rot, pest, weather, UV, and fire resistant. And so when these, this wood has gone through the fire and you put it up on the house, the rest of the house may get burned up, but that wood is not going to burn up. That wood is not going to allow pests to get in, right? There's, there's a certain resilience. Listen to me. There's a certain resilience to your life when you've been burned, when you've been through some things, when you've been pulled out of the fire, and you're like a stick coming out of the fire. Some of you guys, you feel like it's a bad thing that you've gone through this, and you're ashamed of your past, and that voice of accusation has robbed you and made you feel less than, but I want you to know that God wants to say to you this morning, hey man, you're like Joshua, you're like that fire, and when I pulled you out, I want you to know there's, there's some things now that can't penetrate your life. There's some storms that you can weather. There's some stuff that you can survive that you never would have been able to survive before, and it's only because you've gone through this burning, man. Don't let the voice of accusation rob you of the power of what God is doing in your life. I don't care what your story is. I don't care what your past is. Another interesting thought. Unlike regular wood that needs to be refinished, listen to me, in 10 to 15 years, charred wood can last up to 80 to 100 years. What does that tell me? It tells me people 
who have gone through some stuff, and I'm not just saying just the dramatic. We all go through stuff. Pain is pain, man. If you live in Westchester and you've never been to prison, praise the Lord. We always we all have experienced pain. Pain is pain, right? They're, they're, I tell people that want to volunteer with us going into prison. Well, I haven't been to prison. It doesn't matter. Are you a human being? Yeah. Do you care? Okay. Well, come on. You know. Pain is pain. We've all we've all felt burning, and burning can you can either allow it to to burn you up or to do something in you, right? Instead of ten to fifteen years, it will last eighty to one hundred years. What does that tell me? What does that tell me about Joshua? What does that tell me about some of you guys in this room? It tells me because of what you've gone through, your story and your life has a further reach. It has a further reach. And so don't feel like for a second that you are disqualified from being God's architectural beauty in this world, man. Don't think that what God's looking for is a perfect piece to try on. Hey, you got to look like this. You got to dress like that. You got to be this skin color. You got to be from this neighborhood. You got to have this kind of money or, 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 or have this or fit this description. And, and, and if you jump through this hoop and you jump through this hoop, then, then maybe God can use you. That's a bunch of nonsense, man. God's not looking for a perfect wall, man. He's looking for people that will allow the trials of life to do that thing in them. So when they are displayed, man, people look at that and say, wow. Because I'm telling you, when you see it, it's an incredible, incredible thing. God takes those who have been burned by life and their decisions, people who have been through some fires, who have scars, memories of past filled with burns. The burn should have destroyed us and consumed us. But if we, and this is the key, but if we allow the Holy Spirit, he will use the burning in your past and the fires you've experienced to do something deep in you. When you've really been burned by life or by people and allow God to redeem it, it does something to you. And I can tell you because I've gone through some burning. There are different fires, but they're all still fire. We've all gone through our own fires. When you've been through some stuff and you've survived things that you, listen to me, when you've been through some things and you've survived some things that used to rot you from the inside out, they no longer have the same power over you, that accuser standing next to you, ladies and gentlemen, he has no power over you. That mental circus you got going on your in your mind and all these voices of accusation, you're not this and you're not that. And if you just did this and if maybe you did this, it has no power over you. When you've walked through some stuff, the pest can't get in. Those petty things that used to pester you lose their power. The weather, the waves, and the sea of life don't overcome you because you've already survived some storms. You are fire resistant. The things that used to burn you up no longer have any power. You're stable. You last longer. You have strength and backbone. You've got backbone you never had. And with proper care, your impact in life has a much longer and further reach. I don't care if there's 10 people here. You know what? Jesus transformed the entire face of the earth with 12 people. Give me 12 people that realize, hey man, I've been burned, but I'm God's architectural masterpiece now. This, this city, this region, this, this area, they, they get to see what God's going to do. 